The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com uh, If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, uh, verses 7 to 11. We're just going to do one more week. Just one more week, and I promise next week uh, we're going to go back to the book of Colossians. Uh, But there's something that I want to talk about in addition to uh, the sermon last Sunday. So here's the thing. Um, There was a lot that I had left in my sermon last Sunday that I didn't get to because I wanted to make sure that we got done on time. We were still a little late, but I wanted to make sure. So I threw a whole bunch of stuff out. Um, So everything that you're going to hear today is everything that I threw out. I just want to make sure we get this out so that we can move on and move forward. So, you know, it's really funny. I, I I had a good friend of mine actually contact me this week and said, Shane, he goes, I got it. I am so frustrated with everything right now. He goes, I have called over 20 pastors and I asked this question. I'm asking you the same question that I asked all these pastors. He said, did you say anything about Roe versus Wade and the abortion stuff? And I said, dude, matter of fact, I just did last week. And he says, do you realize that you are the only one of the 20 pastors I called that said anything? Family, I kid you not. We are in a crisis, okay? Uh, we're, we're, we're doing everything we can for you here. So, so everything that you're hearing, you're hearing what we should be hearing. But you got to understand and you got to know that they, you have Christian brothers and sisters that are out in this world that are not getting what they need to be getting from churches on Sunday. Okay, so we need to continue to pray for pastors to be bold because I, I have just, it's just been a really, really bad thing as I, as, I, as I talk with some of my pastor friends, as we go to these pastor meetings and things like that. Guys, uh, just pastors are more and more becoming more and more afraid of, of saying what they need to say, you know, and... And the thing is, is here at Central Baptist Church, you guys have, have given me that mandate. You guys have told me that that's what you want. So in a lot of ways, it's really easy for me to preach the truth because that's what it is that you want to hear. Now, of course, we suffer for it, <laughs> right? Because our culture, just, they just don't want to hear the truth. But that's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear the truth. You're going to hear the word of God preached here. And you're going to hear honesty. Remember, I told you that I was going to tell you the truth, even if I thought it was going to make some of you guys, you guys we're going to get mad at me. And we were just going to be honest. Why do I say this? Why is this important? Because family Christianity is not a game. It's, 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 it, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, we're starting to think that, that Christianity is this video game that we play. And then we just play, we do our best. And when we die, all we're going to do is regenerate and start all over again. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that. It's given for a man once to die. Anybody know the rest of that? And then the judgment. There's no recapitulation. There's no resurrection. There's no regeneration. There's none of that stuff. We die. We face God in the judgment. It is not a game. And so that's why we preach what it is that we preach. That's why we say what it is that we need to say. We, we preach the truth. And we know that people are, and I know it. Norberto knows it. Steve knows it. We, 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 we all know it. There's going to be things that we've got to say that people aren't going to like. People are going to get mad at me. And so, you know, you know me, I'm just going to say what it is that I need to say, and I'm not afraid of what they're going to do to me. 
The other thing too is, you know, I know jujitsu now, you know? I'm pretty good at kickboxing too, man. Can't wait to try it out anyway. Um, <laughs> what about my heart? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good thing. Um, all right, uh, let's, let's go to it. God knows, this is what uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, if you haven't heard a sermon by Martin Lloyd-Jones, you need to hear one. Uh, fantastic uh, preacher, one of my favorites of all time. He says this, God knows what is best for us. We agree? There are times when we need sunshine. There are times when we benefit by the storm. Many of us would say that we agree with this statement, especially when it's sunshine. I got no problems agreeing with this statement. No problems giving Martin Lloyd-Jones an amen when he says that. But what about when we're in the storm? When we're in the storm, it seems like for a lot of us, we just don't know what to believe anymore. Don't know what we believe. In our culture today, there's no shortage of Christians who are in despair, who are discouraged, and who are just downright angry. Many of them are in absolute misery right now. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. The formula for a life of misery is what I call the dangling leg. (laughs) The dangling leg. What do I mean by the dangling leg? Trusting, saying, I trust the Lord. I trust you, Lord. But maybe not really. See, when, when, when Janine and I got our motorcycle license, we, you know, we took this class that you had to take to get your motorcycle license. And when we, we went to the class, there was no shortage of one thing that all the instructors had to constantly remind everybody. When we were in this class, we got on these motorcycles and we're all learning how to ride motorcycles. One of the things that was really common that happened was people would sit on the motorcycle, they would give it a little bit of gas, and they would dangle their feet out. Right? I, can't, I can't describe it unless I have something to sit on. But it's, it's literally like you're sitting on the bike, but your feet is not on the pegs where it needs to be. It's dangling over the side. Dangling over the side. Why do they do that? They do that just in case something happens, their foot is there to push them back up, right? And the guys are just like, you cannot do this. You know what's going to happen if you dangle your leg on the side? And you ride like that? Your leg's going to hit something. And you're really going to have problems then. It's funny how we do that. We're just not sure. We just can't trust. We just can't trust. We don't trust the motorcycle. We don't trust ourselves. We just don't trust. So we say, I trust the motorcycle, but not really. But see, here's the thing. But there are some things that we got to trust fully, and we don't have a choice, like riding an airplane. Now, the last time I was on an airplane, there wasn't this little hole in the airplane where you could stick your leg out while the airplane was flying, where just in case the airplane was going to crash, we could stop it from crashing. The last time I checked, there wasn't any of that. The issue is there's no dangling your leg when it comes to an airplane. you got to trust, and you got to trust all the way. 
We can't dangle our leg when it comes to Christianity. We can't only be halfway to believe in some of the truth, but not all the truth. If we say we believe some of the truth of the Bible, but not all the truth of the Bible, this is what I call the recipe for Christian misery. You want to be miserable as a Christian? We go halfway. Halfway. Not all of it, halfway. Or to believe in what God promises, but not really is the recipe for Christian misery. Not being able to understand the difference between what we believe and what we want to believe is the recipe for Christian misery. To believe in some of what the Bible says, but not all of it, is a recipe for Christian misery. Don't believe in all of Scripture. Did you know if we don't do this, you know what's going to happen to us? We're going to be dead, drained, foolish, in despair, ignorant in living, fleeting, subject to the unfair, chasing the worthless, bitter, and suffering of great loss. This is Christian misery. The only way for a Christian joy, for us as Christians to have joy in any and every situation, in all circumstances, if we're going to have joy in life with everything, we have got to be all in. All in. Not halfway. We can't be halfway. We can't pick and choose. We can't be trying to be politically correct, trying to be culturally relevant, not subject to the devices of human ingenuity family. We have got to be all in. None of this. Well, I believe the Bible until it starts, you know, some of that stuff in the Bible is not necessarily politically correct or some of the things in the Bible is not culturally relevant. So all of that kind of stuff doesn't apply to me. This is the recipe for Christian misery. The recipe for Christian misery. <laughs> when we're a Christian, when we find that we're a Christian and we find that we're in misery, we've got to understand that it's not because of the circumstances or the people around you. Oh, here it is. This is the price for admission today. And I know it was really expensive for you guys to come to church today because I saw gas prices. Here's the price of admission today. When we are miserable, when we are struggling, when we are having a hard time, it's not because of the circumstances and the people around you. The problem is you. Ooh, here we go. Fasten your seatbelts. Fasten the seatbelts. You got Kevlar jackets, put it on. <laughs> Bullets are coming. When you are a Christian and you are miserable, it's not because of the circumstances around you. It's not because life is just too hard right now. It's not because of significant others or bad decisions by our leaders who are messing things up for everyone. 
when we are in Christian misery, it's not because of our circumstances. It's because we are not trusting in the Lord. I know this is going to be hard. Hang in there. We are not trusting in what the Lord has promised. When the winds and waves of life hit us, family, when we are surrounded by storms, We are not to despair because of the storm. We are not supposed to be people who are fallen in defeat. When there are waves, winds, and storms that are hidden, Christian, you are supposed to be walking on the water. That's what God has called us to do. Winds and wars and storms getting, oh, with everybody else in the world. Oh, what's going to happen? Our life is over. No, Christian, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be walking on the water with our eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. See, the problem is not our circumstances. Our circumstances is not why we sink today. We sink because of this thing called unbelief. See, we got to get this. Scripture is very clear on this. God is not going to change the circumstances when the goal is to change us. he's He's not wanting to change our circumstances around us. The reason why the circumstances are around us is because these are the things that we endure so that God can change us. He's more concerned about us than he is about the circumstances. The goal is to change us. The problem is not around us. The problem is us. The true power of God is not displayed in him fixing everything in the world around us, but working in us so that we become so strong in him that everything around us does not affect us, but we affect what is around us. I mean, come on, if Christ takes away all our problems, if he just takes it all away, of course we're going to be able to stand there happy. Everybody's going to be able to do that. Seriously, think about it. God takes away all the problems. We got no issues. We got no problems in life. We're happy. Things are great. You know who celebrate and who can stand happy too? Unbelievers. What is it that sets a Christian apart from an unbeliever? One of the biggest things we see is how we handle circumstances. When the world is falling and crumbling down, it's the Christians who are standing up and saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. Huge. Huge. That's what God wants to see. No, 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 no. It's like, it's, it's not that, hey, God's not going to reward us by taking away circumstances. Sometimes God does that. But here's the big thing. We want God to be glorified. And God is saying, hey, you know what? Here's the thing. If everything is good with all of you guys, if everything is good, everything is great for Christians and non-Christians. But God is saying, I want you to see that there's something different about my people. My people, I have brought my people. I have given them new life. I have opened their eyes to the truth and I have given them the Holy Spirit. Watch what they do when everything comes crashing down. God, family, that's what glorifies our Lord. Our Lord, 
That's when, when the people are looking and they're seeing, they go, you know what? That's my disciples. And why wouldn't God want that? This is my kids. This, these are my children. They don't crumble when the pressure comes. They stand strong. They stand believing. They don't stand with you. They're salt and light in this world. They shine like stars in this universe. They're not you. That's how it's supposed to be. A family, as I was talking last week, it just doesn't seem that way, does it? What about a Christian who stands when everybody else is falling? What about a Christian who sings praises to God even in the face of death? What about the Christian who God has given the power to overcome sin? This does not come when we're halfway, family. We got to be all in. And it's the word of God that is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God can be thoroughly equipped for every single good work. We got to be all in. Not just some. Got to be all. And, and, this is, and this is not a straw man. I, I, just, I know sometimes you know, it may seem like it's a straw man. Like, Shane, seriously, do people really actually believe that? People actually believe only some things in the Bible, not all of it? Yeah. I, I, all the time. All the time. Especially when it comes to counseling. You know, when I do counseling, it just, it, it just all the time, just shoo, 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 believe in some things. Um, even, even with our institutions, and I, I've said this before, just in case you're thinking that this is a straw man, no, this is what's happening in our world today. And it's causing Christians all over the place to have doubts about the Word of God as to what it is that we're trying to, or what it is that it actually, or what it actually is to us as Christians. Now, we as Christians here, especially here at Central Baptist Church, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation to the end of Revelation. Everything. It's the whole thing is the Word of God. We don't believe that the Bible contains the Word of God. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Every single word of it. That's the reality. But if we continue to walk down this road where we're only believing some of the stuff and not believing all of it, that is the recipe for Christian misery. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. Psalm 19, 7 to 11. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Ooh, that's where, I think that's where Charles uh, Swindoll got that from. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant. They are a great reward for those who obey them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, the sword. Father, I pray that it will accomplish your purpose here today. Father, we thank you for its power. We thank you for its light. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
So the first thing we're going to look at if you're taking notes today is some of the common accusations that cause many to wonder if the Bible really is the Word of God. The second thing we're going to do is see how this compounds the problem when we discover that it actually, all this stuff, what it's fueling is our greatest weakness and making us even weaker. And finally, we can rejoice today because our, great, because our greatest problem and our greatest problems are extinguished because of the greatest gift that was ever given to us. The thesis statement uh, today is this, and remember, the thesis statement is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to wallow in misery because of continued unbelief, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of Scripture that will cause us to see the Scriptures as the very Word of God and find great joy and comfort resting in that which, when heaven and earth, earth pass away, it will remain forever. That's huge. When the scriptures talk about that, heaven and earth passes away. Guess what's going to remain forever? His word, man. Hmm. Point number one, is it really God's word? The very breath of God. Man, Shane, you just read Psalm 19. And everything you said about what the Word of God will actually do for you, man, it's really intriguing. Because you know what? I need all of that in my life. I need my soul revived. I need joy in my heart. I need wisdom. I need insight for living. I, 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 wow, you're saying that it's more precious than gold? That the Bible is, the Word of God is more precious than gold? The Word of God is actually sweeter than honey? That there's a great reward that comes? I need all of that stuff in my life. It'll make me wise. It will give me, it's fair. It, 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 again, it brings a great reward. Man, if this is the case, I, I would be the happiest person in the world. So you're not the happiest person in the world? No, Shane, I'm, I'm miserable. Well, why? Well, I guess I don't really believe that. I mean, think about it. Right? Think about it. Everything that they said that the Bible would do, all that stuff, isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? We would be able to live life, walk through life, no problems. We, wouldn't, we would be rejoicing every single moment of our lives. But we don't. The question I'm asking you today, Central Baptist Church, do you really believe? Do you really believe this? Hmm. I'll just give you a couple of examples. I asked my kids about Proverbs 8, 11. And, uh, and I, I, I can't remember if I did the challenge with everybody here about Proverbs. I can't, I can't remember if I did it. But if, if I did, then, you know, I'm sorry. But anyway, with some of my friends, I've been doing this challenge with Proverbs. And we've been trying to, to get everyone to memorize Proverbs. If you remember me and the kids now at dinner time, we read through the Proverbs, and each one of us has to memorize one of the Proverbs, and then we need to give it back, all that stuff. So it helps us memorizing the Proverbs, learning the Proverbs, learning wisdom. Why do I do this? 
I've done Proverbs my whole life. Every month you read through a proverb, right? First, on, on the first day of the month, you read Proverbs 1. Fifth day of the month, you read Proverbs 5. You know, you just keep doing Just I've just done that. But one of the things that was absolutely amazing to me is that this year, as I'm going through and I'm looking at all the chaos and all the stuff that's happening in our culture today, and, and just all the stuff, that everything that's crumbling down and the difficulties of the churches, I'm like, if there is one thing that the church needs right now, it's wisdom. We've got to be wise. We need God's word to make wise the simple. We need wisdom. And so my challenge has been, hey, let's just memorize Proverbs, memorize Proverbs, memorize Proverbs. And here's the thing. What really hit me today, what really hit me this year, uh, uh, maybe not this year, maybe at the end of last year, what really, really hit me was Proverbs chapter 8, verse 11. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 11. For wisdom is far more valuable than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with it. Now, you've probably read it, you probably heard it, you probably all that stuff. But here's the thing that it really hit me today. The question is, do we really believe that, though? Sounds great. Sounds lovely. Do we really believe that, though? Because if we consume ourselves with wisdom, do you realize that the Bible is saying, consume yourself with wisdom, you will be even more rich and wealthy than the riches of the rich. Nothing that we would desire could even compare with everything that you just filled your life with just now. We got a book in the Bible that's full of wisdom. So my question is, and what I was posing to my kids, why are we not rejoicing over the great wealth that we got from memorizing the Proverbs? And everyone's looking at me. All the kids are looking at me. Okay, this is dad setting us up again. And my youngest, Shannon, she said it. She looked at me with a very dejected and disappointed look on her face. And she says, because we probably don't really believe it. Oh. See, this is the thing, family. This is where we've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to be honest with ourselves. Because I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you right now, I, I, think, I think I've said it before in this church because I remember this example I'm going to give. If I loaded my entire house and told every single one of you that there was one million rubies, real rubies, this big in my house, just sitting there, and after church today, if you want, you guys can come and take some of that off of my hands. Exactly. Do you see John light up over there? Man, you guys would be over there lined up, you know, trying to get in there so that we can get the rubies. But man, you've got the book of Proverbs in your hands right now. And it is worth more and it's more valuable than any of that. Think about that. Because, I mean, it's just, it's even for me, guys, I have, to, I have to think about this stuff all the time. Even myself, I find myself going, wait a minute, Shane, you're, you're worried about all this stuff. You're worried about these things. You're worried about this material stuff. When in your hands, you have God's word. And the Bible says that God's word is more precious than gold. And he's saying, there is nothing in this world that compares with that. The question, do we really believe that? 
Woo. So I said, hang on, hang on, hang on. Before you guys get mad and start figuring out a way to throw me out of the church, let me finish. If we consume ourselves with wisdom, nothing that we would desire could even compare with the worth of the wisdom that you just have. When we struggle with suffering and hardship in life, we don't have joy. Why don't we have joy when we struggle with the suffering and hardships in life? We got, there's, there's stuff I know. We here at the church, we go through stuff. There's many people in it that are going through stuff right now. And I know it's hard, difficult circumstances. All this, Really, really difficult. I get it. When we struggle with suffering and hardships in life, why don't we have joy? Why is it that we complain instead? Why is it that we curse instead? Why is it that we despair? Why do we lose heart? Why do we compromise? And why do we feel like we're even more justified in committing sin? Why do we do this? The Bible tells us something different about suffering, doesn't it? In James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. We're complaining and we're, we're doing all this stuff and God has given us an amazing gift by allowing these circumstances to be in our lives. Why? Because these circumstances develop endurance and when endurance finishes its work, we will become mature, complete, and not lacking in anything. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. Paul was of the same opinion. Or is of the same mind. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. If there is one thing that is happening in our culture today is there are many people in our world that are disappointed. Many disappointed people. Especially if you're Gen X. You know, I'm not sure about boomers. I can't speak to boomers. I can't speak to millennials. But I can speak to Gen X. If you're Gen X today, I'm speaking to you. We know disappointment. We were the ones that were brought up with happily ever after. Right? Because all of our cartoons, it all ended with, and they lived happily ever after. We didn't get to see what happened after. And we're living our lives going, where's my happily ever after? There's a lot of disappointments in our world today. There's a lot that's going on. There's a lot this. And Romans 5 here is saying that this hope that we have in Christ does not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. Family, we should be rejoicing because that's what the Bible says. We should be rejoicing. The word of God makes it clear that we should rejoice, but we don't. Why? And I asked a good friend of mine, why are we not overflowing with joy when we suffer? And my boy Steve answered it. He said, maybe it's because we don't really believe it. Oh, so profound. I'm surrounded by such smart people. 
So profound. Maybe we just don't believe it. Maybe we really don't believe it. This is the recipe for Christian misery. Trying to live for Christ in all things, but not really believing that his word, that his directives and his promises are really true. This is the insanity of the flesh. This is the insanity of the world. Many today struggle with believing the Bible and the world continues to bring the same tired arguments that have been disproven time and time again to cast doubt upon the word of God but yet we as the church keep falling for them. Why do we do this? Family, it's, it's, it's nothing new. If you are a student of a small, a student of, just have a small knowledge of church history from the very beginning, man, people have been coming against the word of God for years centuries they have been attacking the word of God, coming up with all these reasons and excuses for you not to believe that the Bible, that there's errors in the Bible, that there's this in the Bible, that there's these problems in the Bible, the contradictions in the Bible, there's all this stuff. And this has been happening from the very, very beginning and we keep disproving it and people keep falling for it. Why do we keep doing this? Every time, every time there's word, wars that come where they're just trying to get rid of the Bible, People burning the Bible, people trying to get rid of the Bible, people, you know, killing people that don't hand over the Bible so that they can burn the Bible. They're doing all this stuff. There's these wars. There's all this calamity. There's all this strife. There's all these problems. There's all this nuclear destruction when it comes to them attacking the Bible. But the time and time again, family, when the dust settles and the smoke clears, guess what's standing? The Bible. It's withstood this. It's not anything new. It's not anything different today. People are just like, well, Shane, here it is. The number one thing that people say that they use to cast doubt on the Bible every single time, family, I hear it all the time. The Bible was written by man. Oh, so just because of that, therefore, you don't have to believe everything that's in there. And here's the thing, family. Yeah, the Bible was written by men who were inspired by God. <laughs> right? It's written by men who are inspired by God. How do you know that? Because the Bible says that. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. All scripture is inspired by God and useful for, to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. All scripture is breathed out by God. So Martin Luther, the reformer, said, when the preacher comes up here and he's preaching from the word of God, the church becomes God's mouth house. I love that. It's where we hear God's voice. Well, Shane, you know, I get it, but you do realize that the Bible is full of contradictions. I get this one a lot. Bible's full of contradictions. Full of contradictions. Full of all these issues and stuff. There's so many errors in there, I can't even count. Family, 
There has not been one apparent contradiction that I have read or that I have seen that has ever been checkmate. Not one. Seriously, family, not one. And you know what? There's so much work out there, so much that's done. One of my favorites is this one by Gleason Archer. It talks about hard sayings and difficult things in the Bible. Book that thick, man. He addresses all the critics that come up with all these things that, that they say this and, oh, this is a contradiction. You know, one of the thieves, you know, the thieves were cursing Jesus. But then in one account, you know, it says that this, that, you know, remember me when you come into your kingdom. All of this kind of stuff. And all these contradictions between the gospels and all of that stuff. And it just go back and forth. And I'm just like, man. And these are the same tired arguments that are brought up. And we as Christians, we keep falling for them. There is no contradiction. And here's the thing, family. This is what comes out every single time when I've actually had to deal with a situation when somebody comes and gives me a list of co- contradictions. And I just, kapsh, 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 kapsh. Just, it's just, that's, that's it. Just, it just wipes it all out. You know, this, this hour, Jesus died on this hour. And this gospel, Jesus died on this hour. Yeah, because one was Roman time. The other one was Jewish time. I mean, guys, it's just bang, 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 bang. Here's the thing. One thing I find constant when it comes to this, what all these apparent contradictions show when you bring it to me is that there's something wrong with us, not the Bible. Every single time, there's something wrong with us, not the Bible. And I've, I've, I've told you many times, guys, call me up. You got my cell phone number. Call me up. I'll take the Pepsi challenge with all of you. You guys hear a good one? Let me know. There, there's none. Family, there's none. There's nothing wrong with Scripture. Every single time I explore things, even, even sometimes where I read the Scripture and I go, mm, well, that's kind of weird. Why is it that when we see something weird, this is the thing I wonder, why is it that we see something weird or something that just doesn't add up in the scripture? Why is it the first thing we do is assume that it's a mistake and we got to figure it out? Why wouldn't we assume, first off, that maybe we just read it wrong? Think about that. Why do we assume something doesn't add up in scripture, doesn't make any sense? Why do we always assume that it's something wrong with the Bible not something wrong with us. Seriously. I, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you guys. When I read the Bible, yeah, I'm reading it with a lot of prejudice. Absolutely, I'm reading it with a lot of issues. I'm reading it, number one, as an American. I'm reading it as a male. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm reading it as, a, as an almost 50-year-old. Couple more months, man. Five, oh. And then what I'm, Don told me, like, my vision will go completely. <laughs> there are, Shane, I, I, I have a problem with the Bible because they're just major theological difficulties. Like what? Seriously. And I get this a lot. Like what? And this is what I get. This is, this is one of the famous ones I get. The Bible says that nothing will be impossible for God, right? Yes, nothing is impossible for God. God can do everything. Yes, God can do everything. Well, if he can do all things, can he make a rock that he can't lift? Have you guys heard this one before? Oh, my gosh. I just... Like, seriously, this has been the same argument that has been happening since the Renaissance period. 
And, and, and people are still believing it today, and it's still affecting their, their understanding and, and, and it's casting doubt on their Bible. And just like, well, well then, well, Shane, you, just, you keep saying that, but can you, can you deal with it? And what happens is you got these atheists that say stuff like that, and the Christian goes, oh, that's a really good question. And the audience starts clapping. Oh, yeah, see, they got you. They didn't get nothing. Do you know how ridiculous that statement is? That God, if God can do all things, then he should be able to create a rock that he can't lift. Absolutely not. That is faulty, faulty logic. God can't contradict analytical propositions where the predicate is in the subject. What does that mean? That God cannot make a four-sided triangle. Whoa, did you get that? You know what else God can't do? God can't make a married bachelor. It's just, here's the thing. He can turn a dog into a cat that's still a dog, yet call it a cat, but then actually it's still a dog still. It's absolutely faulty logic, and it doesn't make any sense. Family, and that's the reason why you don't think the Bible is the word of God. For real. Speaking of logical contradictions, many don't believe the Bible is God's word because of Bible misunderstandings. You know, this is huge. This is a big one. I get this all the time. Well, Shane, I don't believe that the Bible is the word of God because there are things in there that are real problems. The, 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 the Bible contradicts itself in, in, in just core levels. They, they, they go, they go uh, many say, this is a big one they get. Many say the Trinity is a contradiction. Well, how do you figure the Trinity is a contradiction? This is what they say. I kid you not, this is what they say. How can you say that God is one God yet three gods? You know what my response is? The Bible never says that. When in the world did the Bible say that God is one God and three gods at the same time? Yeah, that would be a contradiction. It doesn't. This is how we formulated the Trinity. One God, three persons. Where's the contradiction in that? Oh, but Shane, there's more. The, the, the Bible says that God helps those who help themselves. And I have helped myself for many years, and God has never helped me. So he is a liar. What do you think my response was? The Bible never says that. Why y'all keep putting scriptures in the Bible that's not in the Bible? Misunderstandings. The Bible never says this. You know, some of the, th- the things that I get you, I'm like, I'm like watching TV, flipping through the channels. You know, the basketball season is over right now, right? So I got to, you know, you watch the Rockies sometimes, but, you know, it's, it's hard. And uh, you, 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 you're flipping through the stations, you know, and then you, stand, you get on the Discovery Channel or something like that, and they got this professor from a university talking about what the Bible says. I can't tell you how many times these guys with PhDs will quote the scripture and said that the Bible says this, and I do a double take, and I go... The Bible doesn't say that. Where in the world does the Bible say this? So all these guys are causing doubt on the Bible, and they're just making stuff up. This one is huge, family. The Bible says this. The Bible believes this, and it's absolutely not in there. Absolute, absolutely inundated with misrepresentation. But here's the other thing. If we, the modern evangelical Christians today, if we're biblically illiterate, we would never know that. 
And we go, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. He didn't help me, so, you know, he's a liar. And then modern evangelical Christians that don't know the Bible are going, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe I should call my pastor. And then we call the pastor, hey, pastor, you know, that, you know the you know, Bible says, you know, God helps those who help themselves. He didn't help me, so, you know, and that makes him a liar. And the pastor goes, that's a good point. Anyway, the Bible makes a lot of scientific errors. This is, one, this is another one I get all the time. The Bible makes a lot of fi- scientific errors, Shane. We can't trust the Bible. So many things, you know. If God knew, you're saying God knows everything, right? Yeah. Well, then God would know the, the, what's, really, what's real when it comes to science. And then we go, well, here's the thing. The Bible says that the earth is flat. The sun does not revolve around the earth. There is not a glass platform in the sky that angels walk on. And rain does not come from tiny little buckets in the sky that hold water and are dumped down onto the earth. God, the Bible makes so many scientific errors, Shane. How can you trust the Bible? Because the Bible's concern is not about fixing our science. Do you know what the Bible's concern is? Communicating truth to us. Do you know how difficult and how absolutely ridiculously difficult it would be for God to communicate to us if he's constantly fixing our science? We would never understand. We couldn't understand. God did this wonderful miracle, you know, that Joshua needed more time. So what God did was God stopped the axis of the earth from revolving to a certain degree. And the earth stopped revolving or the earth, or the, the sun stopped revolving, the earth revolve. God's not fixing our science. Nobody would understand what he was talking about then. The purpose of scripture is to communicate. We don't fix science. And you know what? Here's the thing. We make accusations about the Bible when it comes to that. Do you realize that we don't even do that? We don't fix science when we're communicating to people. You know, hey, hey Shane, how, how'd, the, how'd that, what, that preaching conference, you know, the, 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 you headlined the preaching conference. Yeah, there was a million people there. Right? There was a million people there. Anybody thinking anything bad about what I just said? No. What was I communicating to you? There was a lot of people there. But did I, have, did I sit there and did I count every single person that came? Come up with the number one million? No, I didn't do that. We don't communicate like that. There were a million people there. Man, this was just beyond belief. Man, they, was, they, would just, they came on stage and they, and they absolutely destroyed everything. That's, that's not scientifically accurate, but that's not how we communicate. You know, my aunt used to say, my aunt, I, we lived up in, the, uh, up in the, mountains in, uh, the mountains in Hawaii, and my aunt lived kind of more down in the valley. She would always say, are you going to come up to the house? Why don't you get the kids, and why don't you guys come up to the house? I'll make you guys dinner tonight. Am I going, ah, 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 ah. stop lying to me. That statement that you made was absolutely inaccurate. I live in the mountains. You live in the valley. I technically come down to your house. We don't do stuff like that. Did you know that we even today still use buckets when it comes to rain? We're accusing the Bible of being wrong because it it gives the illusion of tiny little buckets that pour water down. That's how it rains. 
We say that today. Man, dude, did it rain? Yeah, buckets of it. We even say that it rains buckets today. It's trying to communicate. So we want to cast doubt on the very word of God, the very breath of God, because of this quote-unquote scientific uh, in, in, in errors that we have? Do you guys go out there and say, hey, it's our anniversary today. What I'd like for us to do is go out, look at the ocean, and watch the beautiful earth revolve. We don't say that. We say sunset, right? Sunrise. That's how we communicate. You start talking about, let's look at earth revolves and earth revolve and the, the earth revolve and the earth revolve this. Nobody's going to know what you're talking about. But it's scientifically accurate. Family, here's the last thing. The Bible goes against our personal worldviews. And this is why we get cast out. Because the Bible goes against what I believe. And as long as the Bible does that, I can't trust the Bible. Do you, do you know that I tell the story all the time? Do you know that there was a pastor's wife who actually said that she believed that Jesus was wrong when he told Martha she was wrong? She actually said that Jesus was wrong. Absolutely wrong. Some will say that Paul has no reason to give any advice when it comes to marriage because he was never married. So when Paul is talking about submission and all of that stuff, he, he, he just, he didn't know. What does he know? The Bible is wrong about abortion. The Bible is wrong about a woman's body not belonging to, not belonging to her, but belonging to her husband. The Bible's wrong about that, Shane. All this stuff continues to cast doubt upon the validity of scriptures. Because the reality is we think we know. That's the reason why we come to the Bible when something doesn't add up. We think the Bible is the thing that's wrong. We don't think we are. We don't think that there's something wrong with us. When the Bible makes it very clear, Romans chapter 3 verse 4, not at all, let God be true and every human being a liar. Let God be true. Did you know that the scriptures are the only way that you could actually have real truth about the real nature of things? Did you know that Einstein himself said that the real nature of things we will never know? We're never going to know that. Einstein himself said that. We can't. As human beings, it's so limited. I, we can't even say something as simple as all swans are white. Right? If I say all swans are white, is that true or false? How do you guys know? Do you know? Do you know what would have to happen for me to be able to make the statement all swans are white? I would have to see all swans. So people would be like, well, yeah, that's no problem. What you do is you call people in other countries and you have them look at all the swans and you guys take all your data and then you guys compile it together. And it's like, that's a nightmare. How is that possible? How is that even possible? Let's just say... Let's just say that that was possible, that Norberto got on the phone, he called all these people, and, and they all gave him the data and said that all swans that we've seen are white. Can Norberto say all swans are white and be confident? Even if he saw every single swan that was alive, no, he couldn't say that. You know why? Because Norberto would have had to have seen every swan that had ever lived. Is it possible for us to know that? 
We just, we, we don't, we just don't know. There's limitations to our science, family. There's limitations to what we do. And, and let's, not, let's not lie to ourselves. I mean, how, how many years have we, we have been, they've been telling us that Pluto was a planet and now they're telling us that it's more like a, a cluster of planets now. That the pictures of black holes that we see in the magazines, do you know that they're artists' renditions? They're actually not an actual picture of a black hole. Evolution has no transitions. And, the, and DNA studies absolutely mess Darwin's theory up. We don't get simpler when we get smaller. We get more complex. Evolution's lost. Nobody knows it. Natural selection is definitely not working out as planned. The successful people in our life are the small, scrawny nerds that are behind computers. <laughs> Natural selection is like a total waste now, guys. <laughs> There's no possibility of something coming from nothing. Did you know that random chaos causes specific intricate order? I don't think so. How can we know non-analytic truth? Here's the reality. We can't even make truth statements because you know what you would have to know in order to make truth statements? You would have to know everything in order for you to make truth statements. Do you know everything? No. So we can't even make truth statements. So why are we even talking about truth here? Why are we talking about truth? There is only one possibility for us as human beings to know truth. That is, if somebody who knows everything tells us. Think about it. That's the only way. If somebody who knows everything tells us, do we have that? It's called the scriptures. But even though it's overwhelming, I mean, even though there's overwhelming evidence for this, and it's all disproven, this is just a mess. The reason... Just, it's, it's amazing. The reason the Bible, we see the Bible vary the word of God, but we continue to struggle. Because we got to believe that the Bible is the very word of God, and we just can't. This is how weak our faith really is. Family, our greatest weakness as human beings, Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Family, our greatest weakness is unbelief. It's not that we don't believe that God can. And this has unbelief. When I say unbelief, there's, the Bible doesn't give you the opportunity of not believing that God exists. That's just not an option, right? It's everybody. This is why I'm saying there's no such thing as atheists. There's nobody on this world that actually believes for real that God doesn't exist. So anytime it's talking about unbelief, it's not talking about whether God exists or not. Do you know what the Bible talks about when it comes to unbelief? It's not whether God is or isn't. It's whether God's good or God's bad. That's what the unbelief is. We look throughout scriptures, there's nothing that implies that people struggled with unbelief that God exists. But the unbelief that God is good when the Israelites were in the wilderness, they were chastised and they were disciplined for their unbelief. Do you think that they were chastised because they didn't believe God existed? No, these people absolutely believed that God existed. What, would they, what was the unbelief? The unbelief was, he brought us out here to die. 
He brought us out of Egypt so that he could kill us. He brought us out here so that he could do all these horrible, evil things to us. What was the unbelief? The unbelief was they didn't believe that God was a good God. They thought that this God was a terrible God for making them struggle in the wilderness, and they doubted God's will. Because in the end, family, this is what we want. It's about what we want. We don't want what's best for us. We want what makes us happy. Or at least what we think will make us happy. No matter how many times we're warned about material stuff, no matter how many times we're warned about riches, no matter how many times we're warned about loving what the world brings, we still pursue it. We're still after it. We still pine and whine for power, popularity, profit, and pleasure. We're still chasing after it. When the Bible continues to warn us time and time and time again about this material stuff and how it's going to destroy our lives, how it's going to ruin our lives, it's going to ruin our relationships, and it's going to ruin our, uh, the way we look and we see God. This is why they pro- the, the, the guy who wrote in the Proverbs, this is why he says, give me not riches. The Bible is warning us, warning us over and over again about riches. And he says, give me not riches. Now, he also says, make me not so poor that I'm knocking on Don Seller's door at night because I need something to eat, you know. And he comes and greets me with the shotgun, you know, all that stuff. I mean, don't make me so poor that I do this. But what does he say? Don't make me rich. Do you know why? He gives us the key there, a key there, a very, very important key that we've got to get today. Lest I say... Who is God? Do you know what he's saying? Don't make me so rich that I don't need God anymore. So you want that? We're chasing after riches, all this wealth, so that we can say, who is God? The Bible warns us, but in reality, you know why we still do it? Because we don't believe that. We think, oh, you know what? I'll get all this money. I'll get all these riches and all this kind of stuff. And I'll still praise and worship God. For real? We're going to go down that road? You want to know why Christ in the Bible is rejected in our culture today? Because we've all, many of us in our culture today, we've come to the place where we just don't need God anymore. We don't need Christ. That's why the world rejects Christ. We don't need Christ. We don't need him. And we, even if he was there and we wanted him, we don't want what he has to offer. Why am I going to do this? So if, I, if I'm reading the Bible right, I'm going to serve God so that God can bring pain and suffering in my life so that I can grow and be mature and complete. Uh-uh. I don't care about maturity. I don't care about being complete. I just don't want to suffer anymore. We don't want to be trained. We don't want to be groomed. We don't want to be fashioned into the image of Christ. We don't want to suffer because we don't care about whether we're shaped in the image of Christ because what is Christ to me? Christ, Shane, you talk about it every single Sunday that Christ came and he died for our sins. But you know what? I'm, I'm not a sinner. So what do I need Christ for? Do you know why people in our culture don't believe that they're sinners and they need a savior? 
because the pulpit in America today is not preaching on sin anymore. We don't preach on sin and people don't think they're sinners. If they don't think they're sinners, then they don't need a savior. That's why the gospel is not good news anymore. You know, you tell them the gospel, Jesus died for your sins, but he believes that he's not a sinner. How is that good news to me? Oh yeah, you know what, Shane? You need to go take that to the prisons. You need to take that to the mental institutions. You need to preach that to them. They're the ones that need the Savior, not me. You know, if, God, if, God, if you want God to do something for me, then he can get me out of debt. That's what I need. I need to make more money. Because we don't need him. And we say, well, we just don't want people to feel bad because we want them to keep coming to church. But then in the end, people still come to church, but they don't feel like they need the gospel because they don't have to worry about sin. And all they're saying is, who is God? Who is God? Because in our culture today, all the problems that we have in life, Apple can solve that. The government can solve the problems I have in my life. Money can solve the problems I have in my life. The electric car can solve the problems I have in my life. Our culture has taught us that our biggest problem is that you don't have and the solution is go get it. Ask Solomon if this is true. When are we just going to come to the Lord as children? When are we going to just trust the Lord no matter what? Surrendered to his will. Surrendered to his word. When will, we, when will we actually sing and actually do what we sing when we sing, I surrender all? That's, that's one of the reasons why we don't sing that hymn. I can't sing it without feeling like I'm lying. So every time I say that, sing that, it's just like I'm I'm lying. When are we going to be able to say that we surrender? Are we ever going to continue to be half in and live in continued misery? Are we going to trust an airplane more than we trust the Lord? No matter what family, all in to the word of God and trust. Our souls will be revived. We'll be made wise. We will rejoice. We'll receive insight for living. It's more than fair. The word of God is worth more than gold. It's more satisfying than even honey. There will be a great reward. And when all the riches and wealth in the world and even heaven fades, the word of God will remain forever. Let's Central Baptist Church, let's be all in. Let's live our lives in such a way today, from today on. Let's live our lives in such a way that if by some absolute impossibility, the Bible would be made false, that we will most be pitied by people. I want to build on the Bible so much so that if something were to happen to the Bible, my entire life is going to come crashing down. Let's go all in. Let's stop riding Christianity with our leg dangling over. Let's just go all in. Let's get on the plane. Let's just go. Let's stop doubting. When the Bible says this, yeah, it doesn't feel right, but we're going to go with it anyway because it's God's word. Yeah, this part in God, it's not politically correct, but you know what? I'm going to go with it because it's God's word. I'm all in, man.
I'm all in. And if something goes wrong, then I'm most to be pitied. But I am all in. Because, let's be honest, where else are you going to go? You're dangling your leg, you're riding a motorcycle and you're dangling your leg. But when the motorcycle tips, what are you going to stand on? Peter said it. John chapter 6, verse 68. John 6, 68. Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. So we're not going to trust the world or we're not going to trust God's word. Where else are you going to go? What else are we going to stand on? Where else are we going to find hope? Family, there's nothing. There's nothing more. There's nothing further. There's nothing extra. There's nothing. In the end, this is it. There's nothing. And if you're not sure, then ask Solomon. Solomon did everything. Solomon withheld nothing. Solomon was a king. He could do this. Gave himself everything. And in the end, what does he say? Fear God and keep his commandments. He went straight to the word of God. Family, it's the greatest, more precious than gold. So here it is. I'm going to start wrapping it up here. The problem with our greatest weakness, unbelief, Our unbelief is not alone. Our greatest weakness is coupled with our greatest problem. Our greatest problem. And what is our greatest problem? Our greatest problem is not gas prices. It's not inflation. It's not a political party or what's even happening around the world. It's not our spouse. It's not our children. It's not our neighbor. It's not our coworker who just stole our promotion. Our greatest problem is one day we are going to face the wrath of God. And I guarantee you, family, every problem that you are faced with here today is going to pale in comparison when the fiery eyes of Christ is looking at you in judgment. The scriptures are clear. This is the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal darkness, eternal fire, outer darkness, hell. Despite what you may have heard, hell is not the place that the presence of God is not there. Hell, people will say, hell is the absence of the presence of God. No, no, no. The presence of God is totally there. R.C. Sproul, I'll let R.C. Sproul say it. R.C. Sproul says, the problem with hell is not that God isn't there. People often think that hell is the absence of God. Everybody who is in hell would do everything that they could to get rid of him. They would pay any price if it were possible. The problem is that he is there, and he's there in judgment. Oh, you think the absence of God and just getting poked in the back by a pitchfork by the devil, you think that's bad? No. You don't fear that one. You don't fear the one who can kill the body. You fear the one who can kill the body and punish the soul for eternity. That ain't the devil, family. That's God. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
Shane, that's, that's pretty messed up, man. Is, is there any hope for us? Absolutely there is. Can we be saved from this? You absolutely can. Yes, and it is promised in the word of God, the very breath of God. Yes, yes, and amen. There is salvation for us here today. Coming from the God who cannot lie. Yes, we can be saved from our greatest problem because the Lord gave us the greatest gift that was ever given. And that gift was His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have hope today because Jesus, the Son of God, died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Jesus came into this world to seek and save that which was lost. Did you know that the Bible also says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Is there salvation for us today? Absolutely. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will cleanse us? Absolutely, he's going to cleanse us. Is he going to clean us good? Oh, absolutely, he's going to clean us good. So much so that we should never, ever call unclean what God has made clean. In Christ, there's life and life more abundant. It's found only in Christ, found only in the greatest gift ever given. And we know this from the truth of the very word of God. Christ said it himself, your word is truth. Family, it's the lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. Today, all in, let's hide his word in our hearts that he may give us the power that we might not sin against God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.